Hi, I'm Dr. Robin Roth, but my friends call me the Booby Docs, my popular social media account where I talk about breast cancer and breast health in an educational and fun way. I'm a board-certified radiologist who specializes in breast imaging and image-guided procedures. I'm also a 40-something Ashkenazi Jewish woman with a strong family history of breast cancer and BRCA, so I know a thing or two about breast cancer. And this is my podcast, The Girlfriend's Guide to Breast Cancer, Breast Health, and Beyond. If you or someone you love has been affected by breast cancer, this podcast is for you. Each episode, I sit down with top breast cancer experts, thrivers, providers, and those that love them to bring you the breast information. So get ready to learn, laugh, and let's be breasties. This podcast is not intended for medical advice. Please refer to your doctor with any symptoms or concerns you may be having. Thank you and enjoy the show. Hi guys, welcome to season two of the Girlfriend's Guide to Breast Cancer, Breast Health and Beyond. If you are new around here, welcome. And I would highly recommend going back and listening to season one, especially if you or someone you love has been affected by breast cancer. In that season, I am joined by my best friend and colleague, Dr. Adrian Rosenthal, where we speak to some of the key members of the breast cancer team to really ask the most important questions. I am so excited to continue these important conversations this time on my own with this upcoming season. We're going to dig a little bit deeper this time and get a little bit more personal. And I've got some really incredible guests lined up. And this first guest is no exception. I am joined by one of our med school best friends, Dr. Arielle Gluckay. After we graduated from Albert Einstein College of Medicine in 2008, Arielle has gone on to become a successful pediatric rheumatologist living in South Florida where she lives with her three beautiful kids and her husband, Josh. We catch up about turning 40, tips for her first mammogram, and if you make it to the end, you might even hear a surprise musical appearance. I added a few editorial comments to define some important terms and clarify some statistics. We hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we did. Welcome, Ariel. Thank you, Robin. It is so good to see you. And so good to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm like really, really, really excited. Oh my to do God. This. I called you actually the other day because it was your 40th birthday. And I said, Happy 40th birthday. It's time for your mammogram. Right. And she's like, That's actually um, been on my mind. So we thought we would talk about that. It's great to, you know, have friends that remind you of these things, whether you want to be reminded or not. <laughs> I feel like that's my now my 40th birthday phone call. Everyone gets that call. They're yeah, like, oh, yeah, that is time. A few years we'll be hearing from our uh, GI friends when it's <laughs> time for our colonoscopies. I actually had my colonoscopy scheduled, but if you follow me on Instagram, you probably saw that I recently had major knee surgery. I um, was running for a door the other day at daycare, and my knee popped as I was lunging for a closing door. I didn't fall or anything, but my knee popped, and I knew it was bad. And I was kind of hobbling on it for the past week and a half. And I hobbled my way to a Pearl Jam concert. And I hobbled my way through work. And it ends up that I tore my ACL, my MCL, my lateral meniscus, which is a so-called unhappy triad, which is like a football injury. Daycare is savage. I know, right? I was like really trying to make it to work on time. And I did, but I did tear all those things. So I ended up needing major knee surgery last Monday. All those, you survived all those ski trips. I know. Intact. And it was daycare that did you I feel like they were all leading up to this moment of my ruptured everything because I cannot imagine my my move that I actually made was so minor that I couldn't believe all this happened from me. Right. You might've been hanging on by a thread. I I think they were like a little ratty to begin with. Yeah. 
Nothing makes you feel 40 years old than like an ACL, like a triple knee repair. The best news is that he was like, in 15 years, you're going to need a knee replacement. So I'm giving you a scar that they could well, just open back up in 15 years. Well, I'll uh, put you in touch with Grandma Salma, who just turned 92, who has two amazing knees, who I keep telling her that uh, you're going to have to outlive your knee warranties because she's running all <laughs> around, traveling on her bionic Good for knees. her. Doing great. Yeah, she's... We should all be doing what my grandma Selma is doing. I love grandma Selma. She looks great. You got to fuel the body to take care of that. And you got to get your annual mammogram. Does she still go for those? It's a good question. I think she might have just stopped. I mean, she's 92. Well, that's a great point because you actually stop at age. Well, they say seven. So some people say 74, but it's actually as long as your life expectancy is at least five to 10 years. And you're willing to undergo additional tests. So she might be, she might be due for one. Maybe, you know, I'll, I'll bring it up with her. Tell, tell Selma, the booby docs say, come on in. Yeah. So, yeah, I've been home. My parents came up today, and um, they say your recovery is like three to six months of no weight bearing and no driving and no working, but I'm figuring it all out. I feel like radiology can make it work. Isn't there a lot of sitting involved <laughs> in dark rooms? So, that's what you're saying. <laughs> that's a common misconception of radiologists that we sit all day, but actually, breast radiologists run around the office, we see patients, we do biopsies. So I have a feeling I'm going to come back with like a different role initially at first. Yeah, we're going to figure it out. But it's major surgery. It might just be a good opportunity to, you know, try something a little different. We're going to rest, relax, and focus on some booby doc stuff. So let's record some podcasts. Well, let's get it started. How does it feel to be 40? It feels, it definitely felt different than other birthdays. I mean, yeah, you know, I think back decade birthdays, I think are by nature a big deal. And, but looking back, you know, when I turned 30, like I was just starting to have kids. Like I had my first kid, you know, a month shy of turning 30. So like that chapter was more about having kids. This is like a chapter now that is really more about me. And it's like, I that's totally what made it agree. feel really different. I feel good about being 40. Like, I think it's going to be my best decade because I think professionally we're established. We have our yeah. children. Like, we're done. The, those doors are closed. The factory is and like, closed. And, like, now we could really just focus on, like, being better versions of ourselves. You know, there's some things I want to change and there's some things mm. I want to keep. And just kind of, yeah. like, reassessing because we've been through, like, residency and, all, and three kids each. Mm-hmm. And it's just a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there's a lot of things I would say over the last few years, I've learned really some of those things to let go. Like there's, there's no like badge of honor anymore for like mm-hmm. not getting sleep. <laughs> yeah. Like getting sleep, getting, you know, putting aside time for exercise, like all of those things, you know, yeah. where they're worth it and we deserve it and other stuff can wait. That's what I'm slowly learning. Yeah. Now we have to, I think you have to fuel yourself first before you could fuel others. Yeah. I think that's how I kind of ran into this predicament with my knee. Like, I feel like I was rushing too much and not taking Mm -hmm. care of myself and just, you know, going through the motions. And I think this really kind of stopped me in my tracks. And I think it was a sign from the universe to slow down. Right. Because when you think about it, like, what would have happened if you got to work 10 minutes later? Probably nothing. You I have know. like two intact knees and everyone would have I been know. seen. And, but we forget, we, we 
sometimes think things are a bigger deal than they really are. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't feel like I'm 40. Like I feel like I'm 26 no, I'm like, years old. Yeah, I will always feel like 17. <laughs> but with more self-confidence. <laughs> yeah, definitely more self-confidence. I was I heard um Jenna Bush Hager and Hoda Kotb talking about this that like Jenna just turned 40, but when people ask her how old she is, she kind of like automatically goes to age 26 and why is that? <laughs> like I feel like a lot of people feel that way. Yeah. And they identify that it was like their last year of independence. Like it was the last year before that you met your husband, before you had kids, you didn't really have a job. You were just kind of like enjoying life. Like we were living in Manhattan but, and yeah, we were having some fun, but also like working really, really, really hard. I know it was a crazy, Lots tired, of exhausting yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm so happy to be like on the other side of it. And absolutely. So let's talk about your first mammogram. How yes. are you feeling? Um, You know, I, Actually, I'm really glad we're doing this because, yes, I'm a doctor. I went to med school. But honestly, my knowledge about what the actual test is going to look like and go through is really from, like, the little bit I've talked about it with, like, my sister or what you see on TV. So, like, I really don't know that much about it. All I know is, like, everyone says your boob gets smushed. <laughs> it's uncomfortable. So tell me, tell me what I need to know to get prepared. All right. Well, you've obviously come to the right place. So for starters, yes, the technologist will definitely squish your breast. Um, and I'm going to tell you, I just had my first mammogram back in April and the pain is personally, I think over-exaggerated. Like, I mean, it was tolerable, wasn't pleasant. I wouldn't do it just for fun, but certainly, you know, for the test, it's, it's tolerable, mm -hmm. but it's really not that scary or it shouldn't be. So I've kind of compiled a few tips for your first mammogram. Okay. So number one, don't wear deodorant or body lotion because we could actually, that shows up on mammograms. It could look like calcification. So no deodorant or body lotion. And also wear a two-piece outfit because if you're wearing a dress, you're going to have to kind of remove your whole dress. Oh, okay. So wear like a two-piece. So bring <laughs> you could just remove your top and your bra. Okay. And then, yeah, so in, if you've ever had prior imaging, you always want to make sure that you get those beforehand and like submit them to the place you're going to go to because comparisons are really our friend. Um, but if you're 40 years old, you probably haven't had anything. But sometimes like a few years ago, maybe you had a lump and you had it worked up. It's always important to get those old films beforehand and bring them to your appointment because comparisons are really helpful, especially with regards to breast imaging. Um, this one's important for you, but you're going to want to make sure that you tell the technologist if you ever had any type of surgery or biopsies and point out any skin lesions, because often we could see that on your mammogram. We could tell if you've had a breast reduction. We could tell if you've had an excisional biopsy. And often it can kind of look like cancer. So we need to know that information so that we could like accurately mark the scar so that the radiologist knows that that is actually a scar tissue and not a cancer. So that's an important so one. So I'm really glad you brought that up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as you you know, mm -hmm. um, I had a breast reduction when I was 19. Yeah. So, you know, aside from, you know, obviously that being an important thing for them to be aware of, like, 
from your perspective, how do you think that impacts my imaging and what, yeah. you know, maybe it, a little bit more complicated or is yeah. it not? I mean, it might be a, like your pattern will look different because um, we could tell in a mammogram when somebody's had a breast lift, like their when a breast reduction, their breasts, they're, they take on a slightly different shape. So if you didn't tell me, I could probably tell, but it is important to let them know because sometimes we'll see some scar tissue in an area that wouldn't be normal in a normal person. But if your breast had breast reduction surgery, that's very normal. Like the scars underneath your breast, we could see that. So yeah, make sure to let the technologist know. Um, but nothing else in it that we necessarily need to think about. Breast reduction doesn't really change our sensitivity. Breast implants kind of do because they do obscure a large portion of the breast. But we mm-hmm. can actually, people often ask, can people with breast implants get mammograms? The answer is yes. We actually do two kinds of views. We do something called routine where we squish the breast and the CC and the MLO projection, um, which is how we routinely do it. And then we also do something called implant displays where we actually, the technologist will push the implant back and grab a little bit of tissue. I know it's a doozy and image that as well. (laughs) So they get four sets of images. So a normal, like a person without implants will have two pictures of each breast at least. Um, And then if you have implants, it's going to be at least four pictures of each breast. Um, and I always say whenever you can get 3D tomosynthesis or 3D imaging that helps with overlapping tissue and helps kind of tell if something's normal. We could see things better on 3D tomosynthesis, especially in women with dense breast tissue. And that's another thing. Well, I is talk that, to you about. Yeah, for sure. Is that is the tomosynthesis like pretty standard now or like do you have to actually ask for it? Tomosynthesis is pretty standard now. Like it started I think back in twenty eleven. So now it's pretty widespread. But you could certainly ask, like, um, am I be gonna be getting three D mammography? If not, I would like that. Some places do two D and three D. We just started doing 3D. We're getting rid of the 2D mammograms because we showed that it gets, you could see calcifications just as well and it cuts down the radiation dose in half by not doing the 2D and the 3D. And I think most places are just doing that now, but that's institution dependent. But yeah, you certainly should be having 3D. And this is something important. Let's talk a little bit about breast density. This is a really hot topic. Yes, I always hear this come up, you know, dense breasts like need different kind of imaging. Right. So I posted a reel today that kind of got a lot of traction, mainly because Katie Couric was recently diagnosed with breast cancer and she has dense breast tissue. And as part of her annual screenings, they put on a supplemental ultrasound and they basically found a small cancer that they probably wouldn't have been able to see by mammogram. So let's talk about dense breast tissue. So about 50% of women have dense breast tissue um, or considered to have dense breast tissue. So your breasts are composed of fat and, and fibroblanzer tissue. The more fibroglandular tissue you have, the more dense your breasts appear on mammogram and the whiter they appear. And the problem is that the cancers also can appear white. So if you have dense tissue and possibly a small white cancer hiding behind it, we can't really see it that well And women with dense breast tissue. And that's why those are the women that would benefit from supplemental screening, such as ultrasound or MRI. Now, the only way to know your breast density is actually to read your mammogram report. So if you've never had a mammogram, you won't know your breast density. But you could assume if you're 40 years old, you're probably going to be dense. Um, so if you see, if you're reading a report under your breast composition, breasts are assigned by one of four categories, either fatty, scattered, heterogeneously dense, or extremely dense. And so if your breasts are heterogeneously or extremely dense, meaning they're composed of like greater than 50%, 
uh, fibroblades or tissue, you would benefit from supplemental screening such as ultrasound or MRI, depending on your risk factors. So the rule of thumb is like if you're over 20%, if you're over 20%, you're going to want to do MRI. And if you're under 20%, you're going to want to do a supplemental ultrasound. It's really not for everybody. Like the downside is that we might find a mass that is not cancer that warrants a biopsy. But if you're like a proactive woman who really wants the earliest detection, like the best test for you, you know, if you have dense breast tissue, I would add on that. I would certainly add on that supplemental. I would consider adding on that supplemental ultrasound or MRI at least every few years just to make sure everything is okay because there's a lot we cannot see in women with dense breast tissue. We know that. And also dense breast tissue is an independent risk factor for breast cancer. So having dense oh, breast wow. tissue, yeah, so they said that ex a woman with extremely dense breast tissue is four times more likely to develop breast cancer than a woman with fatty tissue. So we know now that it's also an independent risk factor. It's not entirely understood why, but probably just having more hormonally active breast tissue increases your risk. So it's like a double-edged yeah. sword. Wow, yeah. I didn't know that. So mm -hmm. I would say for your first mammogram, talk to your doctor about supplemental imaging like ultrasound or MRI. Okay, excellent points. Um, you you mentioned about, you know, risk. Level. Yeah. Can we talk about that for a minute? Because, um, you know, thankfully, family history-wise, like no breast cancer, which, you know, I am from Ashkenazi Jewish background. Yeah. So just by nature of that, I know we have some risk. Yes. Um, so I know we're spending a lot of time talking about mammogram, but, you know, I wanted to pick your brain about the issue of genetic testing. And yeah, is that something that's worth doing when we really, you know, when there's not, there's no family history? Thing. So I'm going to throw Absolutely. out some facts for you that most people who are diagnosed with breast cancer do not have a family history of breast cancer. And most people that are diagnosed with breast cancer don't have a genetic mutation. Everyone is at risk for breast cancer by being older and being female, by getting older and being female, you are at risk for breast cancer. So everyone's at risk. Um, there are certain things that will increase your risk, like a genetic mutation or a strong family history of BRCA, like having a first degree relative, um, having dense breast tissue. Ashkenazi Jewish increases your risk of being BRCA. And actually, one of the, the next two episodes that are going to follow you are with my cousins who are both diagnosed with breast cancer in their 30s at, without, no, without a known family history of breast cancer and end up being BRCA. And then a genetic counselor talking about that. And I asked her this straight up and I said, should all all Ashkenazi Jewish people consider genetic testing? And she said, yes, because the risk of BRCA is very high. There are other mutations that are associated with it. So, and really knowledge is power. So let's say you, you found out that you were genetic, you carried a genetic mutation. There are things you could do by starting screening earlier and adding supplemental breast MRI. So a rule of thumb is if you have a strong family history of breast cancer, you would start like 10 years before your earliest first degree relative, but not before age 30 for mammography or age 25 for MRI. And that kind of applies to if you are at greater than 20% lifetime risk of breast cancer. There's a recommendation out there that, that's new from the Society of Breast Imaging that says all women, especially Ashkenazi Jewish and black women, should be evaluated for breast cancer risk factors no later than age 30 so that you could identify women that are high risk and they could benefit mm -hmm. from supplemental screening. Because if you find out you're high risk at age 39, nothing's really changed, right? Right. You missed out on nine years of like possibly preventative ultrasound, you know, MRI, 
and mammogram. And in that time, you could have possibly developing breast cancer and we just didn't know. Like we don't know the 30 year olds to screen. We know that there are people that were developed breast cancer in 30s and even their 20s. We just don't know who they are. So that's why you kind of have to like look at risk factors. But even if you're normal mm-hmm. risk doesn't mean you won't get breast cancer. Well, yeah, yeah. And I mean, speaking of women in their 30s, I mean, anecdotally, it just feels like I know more people than I have heard of before oh, yeah. getting breast cancer. You know, people in my neighborhood, people that, you know, are in their mid 30s, like getting get picked up for other reasons. Oh, my God. I know. It's it's crazy. It's I, I think there's an epidemic of young breast cancer. Like right now, the numbers don't show it, but I think in a few years we're going to see that. And the question is why? I mean, there's it's it's multifactorial. I don't think we're going to find an easy answer. Like it's not like one thing that you can cut out. And right, then, there's not one thing to blame. Right, and it's like you know genetics. Even though we might not know the genetic mutation, like certainly things are passed down, and there's genetic mutations we don't know about. And, you know, it could be the hormones in the chicken, like it could be a number of things in the water and you just can't avoid everything. And even people who live a perfectly green, healthy lifestyle end up getting breast cancer and they're like, what was all that for? Have the cupcake, like we always say. (laughs) Just have a cupcake, exactly. So like, (laughs) I'm starting to feel like none of it matters. Like I hate to say that because I'm being very pessimistic because it seems like people are getting younger. I mean, it's probably like most things in life, like a happy medium, right? Like, yeah, everything in moderation. Exactly. And do better at the things we know we should do better at. And, but, you know, we don't have to cut everything out. There, we know there are some things that we could do to lower our risk of breast cancer. And I talk about this in an earlier episode with Dr. Duplinsky, but like maintaining an active and healthy lifestyle, limiting alcohol, keeping your vitamin D levels, D3 levels at a normal level. There was some other one. Um, okay, I remember. So uh, exercising regularly and maintaining a healthy weight and also a plant-forward diet. So incorporating more fruits and vegetables and limiting red meats and processed foods. But even if you do everything right, you could still get breast cancer. I think it's a right. take home point. Yeah. Wah, wah. <laughs> the plight of the woman. When you talk about 40, there are even societies out there that say 50 every two years. And that's just bonkers to me. Like, I mean, I've saw, you know, I like peripherally pay attention to some of these things more for myself. Not it has, you know, it's very far removed from my field that I practice, but like, I couldn't imagine personally like pushing this stuff off. I get that like on a population scale, you have to be mindful of like potential unnecessary procedures, but like women are tough. We push out babies. We get babies ripped out of us. We can handle a biopsy that ends up being negative. (laughs) When societies start placing their values on the recommendations, like that's when problems happen. Right, like give the woman the facts and let them decide what the best screening protocol for them is. We know that annual screening mammography starting at age 40 saves the most lives. In average risk women. Facts. Full stop. Right, full stop. Like, I mean, there are other things you could do if you want to be less proactive, but that will save the most lives. And we know that over 25,000 women under age 45 are diagnosed with breast cancer each year in the United States alone. That counts for about 9% of breast cancer cases. So that's why, like, and I even support the monthly self-breast exam because, again, 
things happen. Like cancers are missed, especially in women with dense breast tissue. And that's why like, don't be falsely reassured by a normal mammogram. If you feel, that's why I, I try to encourage women to feel their breasts monthly and just evaluate for changes. And even that's controversial, but it just makes sense. Like the self breast exam makes sense because how else would you be diagnosed with breast cancer in your thirties if we're not screening you? And what's the worst that happens? You find a lump, you get it evaluated with a mammogram and or ultrasound depending on your age. And we find out it's a cyst and everyone's happy, or maybe it warrants a biopsy right. and it comes back a fibroadenoma, but then you sleep at night. But the worst thing you could do is like blow off, blow off a lump in a young woman and say, it's nothing, it's a clogged duct. And then, you know, a few months later, she's diagnosed with metastatic cancer. And I have, I see that happen a lot, unfortunately. Yeah. That's awful. So that brings me to another question. So what sort of general percentage, let's say, of people, you know, get called back for something on the mammogram or, you know, maybe need something else? No, just so that, you know, I can be prepared if something comes up. So that's a great question. Okay. So 10% of women will get called back from their mammogram. Okay. And that number is even higher if it's your first mammogram, if it's your baseline mammogram for two reasons. One, because we don't have comparisons. And two, because you're probably going to have dense breast tissue. So just because, so just be prepared that you might get called back. It does not mean you have cancer. All it means is that we have to look at something a little bit closer, maybe get some extra mammogram pictures, get an ultrasound. Okay, before I go any further, I really have to define something. So at the end of every radiology report, there is going to be a recommendation and it's um, called BIRAD. So it stands for Breast Imaging Reporting and Data System. And basically it's a code that uh, the radiologist gives, letting the the patient and the referring physician know their result, their recommendations and their level of suspicion. So if you get called back from a screening mammogram, that means you have a BIRAD zero or incomplete, meaning we need more information. It really is too early to freak out, and I'm going to tell you why. So of the 10 women that get called back, six of them will be given a BIRADS one or two, meaning that it's negative or normal, and they're blessed, Okay. Another two of those 10 women will get something called a BIRADS-3. And what that means is that the radiologist is saying it's probably benign. The chance of it being cancer is less than 2%. And typically, we would follow that every six months for two years and prove that it doesn't change. And then we kind of bless it at the end of two years. Now, if a radiologist gives you a BIRADS-3 and you're uncomfortable with it, you could always request a biopsy that is always on the table if you're just anxious about it and want to be certain. But um, if a radiologist gives a BIRADS-3, that means they think it's probably benign. They're almost certain about it. Of the two of the 10 women will ultimately get a biopsy recommendation, okay? And that biopsy recommendation could look one of two ways. So it could either be a BIRADS-4, which means that it's suspicious. Um, and that's a wide range that it could be cancer. So it's anywhere between 2 and 95%. Yeah. Most of them are going to be benign. About 80% of the biopsies we do are benign. That means 20% are positive. That number is different if you get a BIRADS-5. So BIRADS-5 means it's highly suspicious for cancer. The radiologist is saying that it's over 95% chance that the finding represents cancer, and they're going to recommend a biopsy. If it comes back benign, they're probably going to say, I don't buy it. I want it. I'm recommending an excisional biopsy. I think it should be removed. Um, so those are basically the, the different outcomes that a woman can expect by getting called back from their screening mammogram. So if you get called back, it's too early to freak out. Statistically, it's going to be okay. Okay, so numbers are in our favor. What would you say to people in your life that you know 
who are of the mindset of like, I just rather not know. So I'm going to go like many decades and not get it done. And is that your mom? Not mine. All right. Got not it. Mine. All right. So here's what I would say to someone that is like hesitant to get a mammogram. Knowledge is power, right? The earlier we catch something, the, the more treatable it is. Okay. So I know it's really scary. It's like pulling the bandage off and you're like, what is under the hood? Especially if you've been gone in a long time, it's going to be scary. But whatever it is, we could handle it. Like it could always be worse. So we're trying to catch these these masses on mammogram before they're palpable, before um, you know they're fungating out of the breast. And I've seen people put off like really obvious breast cancers before. So there is an element of denial. So just you're better to deal, you're better off to just face it head on. There are so many incredible treatments. Like even if it was breast cancer, you're going to be okay. But like I said, there's more options the earlier we catch it. Not to say that it won't be a long road, but there's great treatments available. Everything is individualized for you. And statistically, it's going to be okay, right? Like statistically, you're not going to have breast cancer on this mammogram if you haven't, if you're asymptomatic and haven't gone in for a while, but certainly it's worth going in to get checked. So hopefully I've convinced her. Great. <laughs> I'll make sure. Do it she, for your family. I'll make, sure, I'll make sure whoever this mystery person is listens. <laughs> yeah. Send her my card. <laughs> awesome. Well, I feel like much more prepared now. Um, I'm so glad. And I, and I also want to reiterate that screening mammogram is for asymptomatic women. So if you have a symptom, you have to make sure you're getting order your doctor is ordering a diagnostic mammogram and ultrasound especially if you have a lump like a palpable lump and always point that out to the technologist so they could put it they put um a a marker on it so the radiologist knows this is where ariel is feeling this lump and i pay specific attention there so sometimes i may not catch my eye but now that you're feeling it now um i'm going to give it a second look and certainly look at it with ultrasound so that's important as well Oh, here's here's a very simple logistical question. How much time should should someone set aside program appointment? Is this like, yeah, is this like a lunch break thing? Is this like take the afternoon off? What do you think? That's a really great question. So the answer is it depends. Um, if it's a screening mammogram, then yeah, that could be a lunch break thing. The, the test takes about 15, 20 minutes. Give yourself maybe 45 minutes to an hour just for check-in and everything. Um, there are some places that will read the mammogram right there while you're waiting. Most places do not. Um, in most places, you come for your screening mammogram and you leave and the, re- the report gets sent to your doctor within three business days and to you, the patient, um, within 30 business days. Obviously, that's becoming different with you know the results being immediately available. All right. But if you have a diagnostic appointment, that's a lot different. So a diagnostic imaging appointment would be that you have a complaint or you got called back from your mammogram. Um, and that, that definitely takes longer because in that kind of instance, um, you know, you'll get additional pictures. You may need an ultrasound. Ultimately, you're going to meet with a radiologist and they're going to go over the results with you. You know, if you're coming in for a diagnostic appointment, I would clear the afternoon if possible, because one of the possibilities is that the radiologist recommends a biopsy. So you have to be immensely prepared that that is one of the outcomes. Um, and certainly after getting that news, it would be hard to go back to work or, and sometimes places are even able to biopsy it right there. So if you have that, 
you know, if there's something suspicious and the radiologist is able to biopsy right there, you want to make sure that you are able to do that. So yeah, if you're coming for a diagnostic mammogram, definitely a lot more time for that. Um, and you know, if you get good news and you can go and celebrate and not have to go back to work. Look who I found right here. Dad, come here and say hello. <gasps> a special guest. Well, hello. It's my dad. Oh, oh my God. Oh my God. Should I get my guitar oh my for a jam session? <laughs> Wait, Ariel, I've been learning ukulele. Can you please show me? I got to see what you're learning. I mean, I'm a little on the spot right now. Here, hold on, ready? I'm getting nervous. Ah! There you go. You're on the podcast first. I mean, maybe this uh, this knee thing is how you become a star. Fantastic. I feel like I've been wanting to learn guitar. We'll finally start our band. Is there a band that could be just like one guitar and one ukulele? I, <laughs> I have an electric ukulele. No way. And an amp. Like that's how hard that I am. It's hardcore. <laughs> Wow. Okay. I'm getting on a plane to New Jersey. Yeah. Please come visit us immediately. What's weird about our friend group is that three of the four of us ended up being breast radiologists. Yes, it is pretty wild. But the funny thing is all you girls were like, I want to be a pediatrician. I'll be a pediatrician. And then like, you know, a couple of crying babies and you're like, <laughs> no, I'm over it. <laughs> well, I kind of thought that like the babies were either too sick or too well. That's how I felt about people in general, which is how I ended up to radiology. But then, I mean, I really missed the patient aspect of it which brought me back to breast yeah. imaging. And here we are. So you get the best of both worlds. I hear that. Adrian and Karen, I convinced them to doing breast radiology. I would take I would take credit for that. You should. You should get a piece of their salary. I should get at least 10%. Yeah, 10%. Some people miss the news that Adrian has stepped away from the Ruby Docs, at least for now. Um, it might come as a surprise to many people, but it really wasn't a surprise to me because her father was kind of private battle, privately battling cancer, and he lost that battle a few months ago. Um, so it was a really hard time to like, you know, it's hard to think about social media when somebody at home is really sick and this doesn't mm -hmm. seem like, I don't know, you're just trying to figure out your priorities and this was just not a priority at the moment. And I'm really proud of her yeah. for stepping away and really taking the time that she needs to focus on her family. Um, yeah, no, she's she's amazing. Their family's amazing, and yeah, you know, I'm really proud of her too for doing. You know, you gotta do what you have to do, and yeah, make the priorities in your life. You know, what's important to you. We are all thinking about her. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll be there for her. Yeah. Well, she's lucky to have you. Anything else that we haven't covered? I feel like we covered so much. Yeah, no, I think you got all my questions answered. I'm like feeling good, not stressed, smush these boobs away. Get those so when are you going to go? Well, I have my like annual PCP visit in like a week or two, which I say annual because it's probably uh -huh. like two years late with COVID and everything. Yeah, cool. Um, so I figured, you know, I'm doing that in a couple of weeks. I'll get the orders, get my labs and all of that okay. stuff and then schedule it. And we're going to meet back up. We're going to talk about yes. Amazon after it's done. I'll bring my report. Oh my God. You seeing the booby docs, does it all make sense? Like, this It's just, it's destiny. It is destiny. Like th that pink sign behind your head. I mean, this whole setup, this is like what you were meant to do. It is 
Bashir, as we say, like, this is where you were meant to be. It totally is Bashir. Yeah, I feel like I have found my purpose. I've always been creative, looking for an outlet. And I think I might have found it. Amazing. I'm very proud of you. Thank you. I'm really grateful. Advice for me going out on my own. With the oh, I mean, you got this. It's amazing to have that sidekick next to you, and but you don't need it. You got you. everything that you need to make this amazing. Thank you. I love you so much. Love you, hon. Good luck with your mammogram. Let's chat when you're done. Okay, we will meet back up on the other side of it. Bye. All right, good luck. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed this conversation or learned something new, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave me a five-star review and help spread the word. If you tell me you did, I'll give you a big virtual smoocheroo. And of course, make sure you follow me across all social media platforms at The Booby Docs for more of the breast information. And a huge thank you to my podcast producer, Christian Cuveta, an amazing medical student who also wrote and produced the music for this show. Take it away, Christian.